0: This episode is brought to you by The Psych Collaborative, an online psychology clinic bringing high-quality psychological support to you in the comfort of your own home. Hello everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Today we have prepared a Q&A with all of our lovely listeners' questions. We are going to be answering some questions on the site collaborative. A couple of you had some extra things that you wanted us to clarify and then we will be diving into everything from high school girls and body image to relationships and whether or not to go back. We hope you enjoy today's episode.
1: Hey guys, just letting you know this episode discusses disordered eating and eating disorders. If this is a trigger for you in any way, we strongly suggest that you skip this episode. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode. My
0: name is Kat, I am one of your co-hosts and I am a registered psychologist. And I am the other co-host, my name's Amy and I'm a registered psychotherapist. My darling, beautiful angel, Amy, how are you? How has your week been? Oh, it, it's Monday and it's already been a huge week. <laughs> You're um, ready for Friday. <laughs> ready for Friday already. But no, I am great. Great to be recording with you on this fine Monday. Weather's starting to get a little bit warmer, which is great. Mm. Um, but yeah, how are you? How is your Monday going? It has been an absolute week. <laughs> seven hours of work today
1: Mm. I travel a lot for my job so I was in Wollongong this morning up at 6am and then I was back up in Sydney and you know when you drive you're not doing anything while you're driving but it just mentally exhausts you because you have to concentrate for so long Mm. Um, so I haven't really done much productively um, or efficiently but just sitting in a car driving is has just made me a little bit tired today, but I'm very excited for our Monday night Q&A. You always make my Monday a tiny little bit better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, driving is really draining, isn't it? Super draining. Mm,
1: Yeah. Ames, you told me off mic that you have a pit and peak. (laughs) I'm
0: so excited to hear what is your pit and peak of the week. So I'm going to start with my peak. um, And I think it is one that we would probably share together. Mm -hmm. Uh, so on the weekend, Cat and I were having one of those rare moments when we were spending time together outside of our business and the podcast. We were running uh, sand dunes near Cat's lovely apartment in Cronulla, and we got to meet one of our lovely listeners. So Alex, if you're listening today, it was absolutely so beautiful to meet meet you. Cat, in her true form, did well up. Did shed <laughs> some tears. And I was in complete shock. I thought someone was coming over to tell me that they really liked my tie-dye jumper because I've searched high and low for a tie-dye jumper and I found one. I was like, ha-ha, this this person's going to want to know where I got this (laughs) tie-dye jumper from. But it was was far better than that. We got to meet one of our beautiful listeners and that just made our year. Yeah. I think we because that's a big call
1: amy it's made your year but 2020 in retrospect has been quite a
0: terrible year so you know i i think that's a pretty true statement to make i for me definitely i mean i can't speak for you but for me yeah definitely i think it's made my year because i feel like sometimes we aren't aware of maybe the connection that we have Mm. with our audience because we don't see you um so to have someone come up and to have a conversation with someone that uh, listens to us it just made it feel really real and Mm. yeah I think that was just so lovely and makes all the work we and time we put into this podcast just so worth it.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was such a strange moment. I thought, um, you know, when someone approaches you and says, excuse me, I was like, oh, my God, I've dropped something. I've left my keys somewhere. Um, My tag's hanging out. Something embarrassing <laughs> is happening. I've got lipstick on my pants again. Mm. But it was so Classic nice. Lipsticks. Yeah, <laughs> this again. But yes, yeah, so it was so lovely meeting you. Um, yeah, and I think as Ames was saying, sometimes as podcasters, um, we don't really see people. We don't, you know, we don't know who listens all the time. We get statistics, we get numbers, we know what countries. But until you guys do reach out on something like a DM. Um, or in person, it's like, oh my gosh, I just forget that people actually, real people (laughs) actually listen. So it was really nice um, that happened. So it's, yeah. So thank you so much for reaching out and talking to us. I guess we're kind of a big deal now. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me your pit
0: my pit my pit is i'm going to be really transparent and i think this is probably the same thing i said last week and the week before and that kind of thing probably sound like a bit of a broken record and i apologize for that but this week i have just not prioritized self care i have not prioritized time for myself i've said yes to way too many things and I'm just feeling really tired and burnt out and it's only Monday. So I'm a little bit annoyed at myself that I haven't given myself that rest and that care and asserted my boundaries Mm There's some things at work that I probably should have. Um, But I also know that I will have a break coming up in another three and a half weeks. So I think that's kind of made me be like, you know, like I can see that I have a break. So I just push through a little bit longer and then I get to rest. But that's also, you know, not looking after me now so i think that would be my peer, and just something that i need to work on i think everyone maybe mm-hmm. can relate to that from time to time
1: absolutely it is um quite a tiring time i think this year has been especially draining um, and then add on i think we say this every july august Ames, it's the end of winter people have been working through you know it's been six months since your last big major christmas break usually for most of us who are lucky to have a break we start to slow down a bit don't we we start Mm. to kind of get a bit exhausted and and burnt out and especially this year with everything that's gone on it's been extra so completely normalizing that completely normal feeling and thanks Sounds like you need a holiday (laughs)
0: sis (laughs) amen i might be getting a puppy that's a a plus but don't want to get my hopes up i'm so excited can you please Um, put
1: that on the instagram what kind of puppy that you want
0: yeah, I want a Waimarama, They're beautiful. And that was the second best thing that's happened to me this mm. year. On Sunday when I was running sand dunes with Cap, we saw a Waimarama in real life running majestically mm. through the sand dunes and I cried. Yeah, you did. we both cried on that yep. Sunday, we didn't both we? Cried, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they are beautiful dogs.
1: You should definitely offer pet therapy when you get a dog.
0: <laughs> well, they are used for pet therapy, the ones. Hey.
1: Mm. Well, when we open a clinic one day, eventually, we will yeah. uh, have some dogs there.
0: You'll be having to meet little Mowgli. Mowgli is such a <laughs>
1: All right. We are going on oh, for way nice. too long. Do you long. have a pit and peak? I've so, I've told you my peak. Um, do you have a pit? Oh, I do have a pit. My um, This is so shallow and I feel really silly whenever I, I talk about this, but I'm thinking I might have to postpone my wedding this year. Um,
0: it's not silly or shallow.
1: Well, it's just one of those things. I'm like, I'm so lucky in so other, many um, aspects of my life. I'm so lucky to have a job. And this year, you know, financially hasn't been too stressful as it has been for everyone else. And a wedding is such a, you know a bit of a for me it's kind of like you know there's worse things than not having a wedding but it's just kind of the excitement I had building up to it and now the disappointment of postponing it um but it's fine like it I've kind of come to terms with it <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's it it's it's not the end of the world it's just
0: yeah, a bit but of a bummer it, but it's relative and your wedding day you know is one of the most important days of your life and exactly like you said it's the anticipation anticipatory excitement leading up Mm. to it you know there's a lot of emotion behind a wedding as well and it is a real grief and loss thing to have to postpone your wedding Mm. so that's definitely not silly or shallow
1: yeah it and and i'm thinking i feel i mean obviously it's disappointing but i think because everyone else is having to go through i know a few other brides where they've had to Mm. postpone um you know i'm not alone and everyone's feeling a little bit disappointed too Um, but yeah, that's fine. That's just been my pit, but that's, Fine. This is fine. Everything's little fine. <laughs> All righty. Let us jump straight into today's episode. So, we're going to start off. We've only got a few of the Site Collab questions, um, and then we'll move straight into our listener questions. So, our first question for the Site Collab for those that are unaware, the Site unless we haven't said this enough, the Site Collaborative is an online psychology clinic that Amy and I developed um, probably about a month ago now. So, yes, we just thought we'd put up a little QA box because we've had a few questions about it, but we thought we would end on the potty um first question to see you guys do I need a referral from AGP or anyone uh no you don't need any referrals you can actually just book in online and it's very simple. There's, we have our calendars shown. So you guys can actually go in, book online, um, find a time that suits you. And it's we've made it as easy as possible. I know sometimes it can be daunting calling and making appointments or going to a GP and then having to, you know, it's a whole process. So we've made it as simple as possible. So it's all online on our website. Um And the website's always in our show notes. So if you're not sure where to go, just
0: go there. Yeah, definitely. And another little side note is we do get a lot of questions on um, Medicare rebate and private health insurance claims. Those are two things that we are currently looking into at the moment but given that our business is very very new and it's very early days we currently do not offer medicare bulk billing or private health free um claims but that is something that we're looking Mm. into in the future absolutely
1: okay question number two
0: how do i know if i need to go to therapy Ames, take it away there is no right or wrong time to go to therapy People come to therapy for a variety of different reasons. It can be um, a major life event. It could be childhood trauma. It could be depression, anxiety. Um, If you are struggling with grief and bereavement, uh, anger management. If you are just finding life a little bit out of sorts, if you're just feeling a little bit lost and unsure of what direction you want to take in life. If you are struggling in your relationship, um, sexuality, intimacy, there are <laughs> an endless, you know, uh, plethora of reasons why people come to therapy. And I think if you are asking or wondering whether to go to therapy, that's a great indication that it might be time to talk to someone.
1: Yeah. And I feel like, as we go through move through life we come to lots of big questions big decisions big forks in the road with whether it be relationships um studying workplace family dramas um and generally as humans we rely a lot on our friends and our support network who generally can help us a lot of the time but it's when you start to kind of try and come to a you know a big decision on your own or when you're really struggling you, know, you can't you can't stop yourself from thinking about this issue or whether you know you're something's happening for you and you just can't get out of it you can't talk to your friends or you just feel like nothing's really moving you forward or helping you that's a really good time also to see a therapist therapist we don't solve your problems we don't tell you what to do but we do sit with you we do you know, discuss everything that you're feeling sometimes with friends and family. If we do talk to them, we generally sometimes can hide things from friends and family, whether that be out of embarrassment, shame, and especially I find around relationships, sometimes we might hide some things from friends to do with relationships and therapists are people who, regardless of what you say, there is no judgment. It's a no judgment zone. Um, obviously it's all kept really confidential. So if there's things that you feel like, oh, I don't know if I can talk to my friends about this really openly and honestly, or, you know, I don't have that friend around at the moment or I just need someone to talk to, that's also a really good time to reach out for therapy. Okay, the uh, last question. How did we become registered clinicians? What are our qualifications? Great question. Very valid question. A really good question to ask any of your um, health professionals. So, James, how did you become a registered psychotherapist
0: slash counsellor? So, yeah, I am a registered psychotherapist through um, PACVA. And how I became registered was I did an undergrad Uh, bachelor in psychology and then I did a two years master program in psychotherapy and counseling in a nutshell that's that was basically my pathway it took me the course was meant to take me five years but I had some time off uh, throughout my study to travel so I ended up being at uni for six years and that six years included my one year clinical placement Uh, and I think that very simplistically that wraps up how I came to be registered. So my experience uh, being a psychotherapist and I guess the way that I was trained, so psychology is a very broad profession and there are so many areas of psychology that people can be tra- tra- trained in um, and there are all sorts of different modalities and frameworks but I work predominantly within a psychodynamic um, attachment theory framework, Um, so that means looking at your childhood attachment um, to inform your behaviour and how you relate to the world. Uh, Psychotherapy is very uh, interpersonal based, so I work a lot with relationships, um, but Psychotherapy is also great for anxiety, depression, PTSD. It is a more long term, unstructured approach to therapy. Um, And what about you, Kat? What has been your pathway and um, how do you work as a clinician? Um, So,
1: my pathway is I did a four year undergrad, which included honours in psych, and then I completed the four plus two pathway don't know if that's still being offered at the moment um, and that's where I had the two years is where I had to do two years internship essentially it's like a paid internship um, and I had to complete assignments and exams and case studies and all of that fun stuff um, which included supervision etc at the end of the two years I became registered um, I guess as a psychologist, my, oh, sorry, everything all up took me six years. And I also did a semester in the UK, which was very interesting. Um, As a psychologist, I work within a cognitive behavioral framework. However, I am not, that's not (laughs) limited. Cognitive behavioral framework, I say it very loosely. It's really uh, a lot to do with exploring your cognitions and your behaviors and how they interplay and interact with each other. I do focus a lot on our self-talk. I do generally support a lot of people who do suffer anxiety and depression. They seem to be the two that do commonly present to me. And I work really um, closely as well with grief and bereavement, as well as any anxiety or mood disorders. I work currently, sorry, in the disability sector. Um, So I have been doing a lot of developmental disorders. So that's been very interesting for me. And that's that's my life that's my story <laughs> okay we might start off with the questions the listener Q&A so Ames do you want to start us off with the number one first one
0: okay so the first question we got is I went to an all-girls school starting uni afraid of my facial appearance and body shape will be off-putting I think, I think this question is really about self-esteem and body image. I think hearing that this person is afraid of the way their face looks and their body shape is really, really sad one to hear. But I think something that um, a lot of people really struggle with, um, and I think this also sounds like it's really feeding into her sense of self-worth too. What do you think about this question, Kat? Yeah,
1: I agree. I mean, I think you know it's so normal to feel these feelings especially going to an all girls school I know from my experiences that sometimes having the same-sex school, that that can have some implications for mental health, more particularly more focused on appearance, specifically for a girls' school. Um, I'm really generalising here. I'm not saying that that happens with everyone that goes to an all-girls school, but I do know that there is increased focus and on bodies and, you know, it all comes with a separate set of issues when you're in a single-sex school.
0: Mm. It's really normal for us to have days where we feel insecure about certain aspects of our appearance. We, you know, we all have days where we don't look and feel our best. But uh, this comment is a little bit concerning because sometimes um, when we obsess or feel really anxious or spend a lot of time trying to hide Uh, perceived flaws or parts of our body um, that can actually lead into an an unhealthy relationship with our body and our appearance. Um, So if you are spending a lot of time focusing on certain facial features, um, the way your body looks uh, in the psychology world, that might be symptomology of uh, body dysmorphic disorder, for example. So a lot of these kind of really severe insecurities can can be clinical so it's important that if you are finding that you think about these more often than not and they're significantly impacting on your daily life it would be crucial to get help um, and seek some professional support in that department because although like um, Kat was saying, it is really normal to have insecurities and to um, go through phases where we might feel a little bit less attractive on certain days. Um, If our sense of self-worth is, you know, severely attached to the way we look and it's significantly impacting our daily life, it might be time to seek some support. Mm,
1: Yeah, 100% agree. Also going into the where these messages have come from that you know where these messages that you don't feel good enough these messages you know that you're you're afraid of your facial appearance and body shape so where where does that come from you know as i we always say we're never born with low self-esteem or low confidence um so where did this come from and remembering that those messages that we get sent as women um, or those who identify as women are not always 100% true. Who's made you feel like that? Is it completely true? But maybe there is increased focus on, our, on your appearance and on those things. Whereas maybe uni actually might be really handy to uh, get a broader scope of different types of people, different body shapes, different faces. So, as scary as it might be, you know, uni is also a great place to meet lots of different people and to see a more diverse range of people.
0: Yeah definitely another little uh, tip well not tip but a a little I guess if you were going to take something with you that might be helpful when you are suffering from those bad body image days or you're having a a bad um, self-image day is that you are so much more than your appearance. Mm. We are so much more than what we look like and we can define ourselves in other ways that are not contingent on how we look so make your self-esteem contingent on your inner qualities your internal attributes focus on um all the qualities about your personality mm. your relationships um you know your strengths and and focus on what you like about yourself in other ways that aren't just focused on the external because that is such a small part of who you are
1: Absolutely. You made into uni. That wasn't based off your looks or your facial appearance. That was based on skill. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was based on intelligence. So, you know, that's, that's incredible. Remember those strengths. Um, Our facial appearance and body shape is as important as we make it. So just pay attention to your thoughts around your own body shape and your, your self-talk. Okay. Next question. Okay. Ways to deal with loneliness or feeling like you can have completely no one great question um do want to acknowledge that it's amazing that you have acknowledged that you're feeling this way it can be really hard to talk about loneliness i think loneliness is something that as humans we tend to not talk about uh perhaps there is some shame around that so really impressed that you're able to talk about it and acknowledge it it's not an easy thing to do so just praise all around for that um Just remember, our brain is designed to pay attention to danger in our environment and feelings of pain, and it tries to protect us from those things. So when we feel lonely, that's a scary, painful feeling. And our brain will generally send messages to us that loneliness equals bad and social cohesion, socialization equals good. I think it's really important to remember that loneliness is a feeling. It's not a fact. So as a clinician, I would work on what are your triggers of feeling lonely? Do you feel lonely all the time? Are there patterns to when you do feel lonely? Is it late at night? Is it a certain after something has happened? And really challenging those, uh, you know, those thoughts that I am lonely versus I feel lonely. I think that's such a good distinction to make. I would also kind of talk about what feeling, what, core belief accompanies I'm feeling lonely does that lead to I'm 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 alone so therefore I'm a loser I'm alone therefore I'm not good enough for so and so Um, I'm alone therefore I'm not worth anyone's time really interesting to catch that self-talk because that indicates something to to us as clinicians about your core beliefs about yourself so I always say that behaviors are a manifestation of something of a core belief we have of ourselves so I um, would recommend getting down to what is it that you feel about yourself? What is so bad about being alone? What does that say about you? Um, and that's generally a good way to get down to your core belief. Uh, I would also recommend engagement in social groups. There might be times where you don't want to go. If you're someone who is uh, a bit more of an introvert or a bit more of an empath, then we may feel less we may feel more resistant to go to social outings and meet people and especially if we're in that already that pattern of thinking of i'm really lonely um no one's going to want to talk to me or what's the point um i think making the effort to go drawing on times we have gone before and how was that experience you know was it awful or was it actually okay did you actually have a good time so i would recommend that consistent behavioral activation to try and at least get out there um and if talking to people one-on-one is confronting online's wonderful um online groups online support so that would be my really quick (laughs) tips what about you Ames? what's your thoughts on this question
0: Yeah, I would say um, pretty much exactly the same, really similar, uh, that loneliness is a really complex mental and emotional phenomenon and it can be really painful. Um, You know, it's a survival mechanism, exactly like Kat was explaining. The only other thing that I would add to that as, I guess, more of a practical uh, thing that you could do to... I guess, prevent feeling lonely, although sitting with your feelings is always recommended. And like Kat was saying, identifying your triggers for loneliness and where it comes from. Um, But it might be good if you are, you know, for like COVID, it's unprecedented times and sometimes we don't have a lot of control um and it comes to situations like that but having a plan so what is something you can do on the weekends or on weeknights you know you might have a virtual uh game booked in with some friends or family or you might um do a yoga class via you know a virtual class or over youtube or something like that so get yourself into uh, like a little routine and have things that you are looking forward to you, you know you might even plan your own movie night just really simple things like that sometimes being physically alone by yourself doesn't equal lonely so just because you are alone doesn't mean that you will experience lonely I think it's also important living in a very fast-paced society we're, we're always on the go we're always connecting and talking and everything's you know, really fast paced all the time. So sometimes I think we can mistake boredom with feelings of loneliness. So I think my two things would be identify that your loneliness is exactly like Kat was saying, um, a thought and where it comes from. Um, Have a plan, have a routine. And also sometimes it is okay to sit by yourself and be in your own company. I think that that can be also similar to what Kat was saying retraining that lonely doesn't always have to be a negative experience um we can practice self-compassion and um you know tenderness towards ourselves great agree and like if if for example i mean we don't know your story
1: we don't know you know if maybe you are completely alone you're away from your family away from your friends please reach out and try and you know engage in those groups engage in um I know Bumble, I don't know what country this person's from, but they have a friendship app like trying to make new friends or just socializing. So if you do completely have, you know, your support network network is not there for whatever reason, I would certainly encourage reaching out as much as possible as hard and as uncomfortable might make you feel that's probably the quickest and most effective way to beat those feelings of loneliness Um, Mm. And also, you know, working on that, the reminder that loneliness, it is just that. It's a feeling. It's not
0: completely true. Next question. How do you deal with a parent who does not care about anyone but themselves? Okay, so great
1: question. We have gotten, I think we've heard so many about parents lately. I wonder if it's because a lot more people are at home. So I'm assuming that this person views their parents as perhaps narcissistic. Perhaps they feel like this parent does not pay them the attention that they require. So, I mean, we don't know exactly what, what this, what this um, listener means by parent does not care. Is it that they actually do care, but they're not there emotionally? Um, Is it that they have different love languages? Is it that they are actually neglecting this person? But I'm just going to say this as if the parent is, narcissistic and they are you know not caring about anyone but themselves firstly valid feeling regardless of whether you you know your parents are physically there um or you know you see your parents a lot you can still feel quite neglected or you can still feel like they're not listening or they're not paying attention to your life and sometimes parents can maybe feel be a little bit dismissive so as an adult child of a narcissistic parent um you might feel helpless that you have no control over your parent. And no matter what you do, they're going to continue to either ignore you, not meet your emotional needs, um, dismiss your opinions, You might also feel a little bit stuck. For example, if you live with your parents or if they are in your life a lot, you might feel sometimes guilty that you always need to be there for that parent. That you almost sometimes I feel like adult children of narcissistic parents need to sometimes step up and be the parent. Um, There's a bit of a strange role reversal that that occurs. So all of these feelings are normal. I think some questions to ask is, what are you hoping will be different? You know what. What are you, what's your expectations of them? Um, are you wanting them to change? Because just a reminder, we can't change other people. <laughs> you know, is there anything that, any way we can change our thinking about that parent? How do you, how have you managed so far with your, with your parent? What, what has worked, what hasn't worked? What strengths have you developed since, you know, talking and communicating with this parent, your coping skills? I think for a parent like this, I think Ames and I, we did an episode, we did a, we've done a really similar question, you know, what's gone on for them? Sometimes when we do have parents, and we don't, obviously don't know much about their situation, but with parents who can come across as quite narcissistic, maybe something's happened for them in their life. Um, and this is their coping mechanism. By being narcissistic, this is how they're coping. By not thinking about anyone, they could be in fight or flight. They could have experienced trauma. Most likely, parents are doing their best. However, it might not be up to your expectations. So I think taking a step back and looking at parents from a viewpoint of what have they experienced in their life can sometimes help
0: to depersonalise their treatment of you.
1: What do you think, Ains?
0: Yeah, the only other thing I would add to that is it sounds like – uh, you are feeling like your parents aren't meeting your needs. It might be helpful to identify what you need from them, and then go from there. As Kat said, we can't control other people, and we can't change the other the way other people treat us or behave towards us but what we can do is we can take control of our own feelings um, and do some exploring and some work on ourselves to better understand and better communicate our needs to our parents. Alrighty, the next question we got was how do you know if you have social anxiety what are the common behaviours? Great question. Um,
1: I think... <laughs> In a really quick summary, you know, there is a there is a distinct difference between social anxiety and just shyness. There is some expected anxiety when we're leading up to a big event. For example, if we have to give a speech in front of a class, it is expected there'll be some anxiety if we're going to meet our partner's friends for the first time. There is some normal levels of anxiety, which is completely an appropriate response to this situation. Social anxiety occurs for an abnormal response to a situation. For example, if you're going to meet your friends and uh, you know your friends really well, you're really comfortable with them, and you still continue to really resist seeing your friends, you are still concerned about their judgment of you, you don't leave the house at all. If it really just impacts, I think with any mental health concern, it becomes a mental health concern when it impacts on your daily life, if it impacts on your work, on your social life, on any of your functioning i think that's when it does turn, start to turn into social anxiety um we have actually done an episode on social anxiety so i'd recommend giving that a listen because we kind of break down the barriers between what's normal shyness and anxiety versus what's actually a clinical diagnosis of social anxiety so i recommend giving giving that a little, little listen
0: mm.
1: okay question number five can you ever
0: truly be recovered from an eating disorder The very short answer is yes. Yes, you can be quote unquote recovered. Um, I don't know if I necessarily like the word recovered for an eating disorder. It is a very long, tough road um, when you have a diagnosed eating disorder and you're trying to recover and it is not linear. A lot of people have slips and relapses, but I feel like, yes, you can definitely manage your eating disorder to arrive back in a more healthy, I guess, relationship with your body and diet. What would you say, Kat?
1: Yeah, I agree, Ames. I think absolutely you can, you know, move through an eating disorder. You. Uh, yeah. Recover. We use that term loosely. I think mm. recover implies that you're completely fine for the rest of your life. Yeah. I think if we say recover and you know, people start to think, oh great, I'm recovered. And then there's a slip up. People start to think, oh, I've messed up again. Mm. I think looking at it more as a journey, expecting that you might have relapses or, or slip ups and that's okay. That's part of the recovery from an eating disorder. It doesn't mean anything about you doesn't say anything negatively about you. It's part of the normal journey um, of recovering from any mental health disorder. So yeah, I I certainly think you can work through it. I I think you do need certainly a really supportive network. Uh, Certainly we would recommend supportive family, friends, and definitely, definitely a therapist. It's really hard to move through an eating disorder and, and manage an eating disorder on your own. So we would definitely recommend a therapist. It can be so, super helpful. I know the Butterfly Foundation is just the gospel when it comes to eating disorders, so they're a really good resource to use. In short, yes, you absolutely can um, move forward from an eating disorder, but it's normal to have relapses, and that's okay.
0: Mm so the next question is very similar Um, we do get a lot of questions on eating disorders tips for recovering from an eating disorder how to support a friend uh, with an eating disorder we get that a lot um, and we understand that it can be super, super difficult and it can feel really helpless and a lot, of, a lot of the time we just want some answers and some guidance and while this is not a space for personalised psychological intervention, we do like to offer evidence-based tips and strategies that have been proven to be helpful for people that do suffer with eating disorders and I think when this person asks what are, the, what are the biggest tips um, for an eating disorder or for recovery? I'm assuming that this person is meaning alongside psychological intervention um, and is just wanting some practical, tangible tips because I think first and foremost, like we were just saying, it would be absolutely crucial, um, the biggest tip would be to seek some professional support and the support of your network as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think, I think really what it comes down to with tips is self-compassion. Recovering from an eating disorder is incredibly difficult because our brain has learnt to associate food and weight. Sorry, I don't know what the eating disorder is, but a lot of eating disorders associate weight gain equals bad. And that is a pattern of behavior that our brain has processed. So you have that working against you as well is these automatic um biases and I think that just knowing that it's not a it's not a switch we can just flick on and off it is consciously making effort every single day to fight those thoughts to fight the urges for example I mean I don't know what the eating disorder is if it's anorexia nervosa fighting the urges to weigh your food fighting the urges to go for a run I think Those things are so important. So, really compassionate towards yourself and remind yourself why you want to recover. Remind yourself of goals you have for the future and, you know, how will recovering or or moving forward from an eating disorder, you know, help you reach those goals. So, definitely self compassion and normalizing that it's okay to have relapses. It's okay to have thoughts that come back. That's completely normal. It doesn't say anything bad about you. It's just moving forward from it. You know, what can you do in those moments? Moments where you feel really anxious about your body or your eating what can you do who can you reach out for and please know that trust me as clinicians we know how hard it is we know that eating disorders are really really complex and really tricky and take a lot of time so doing it on your own is really difficult that's why we do have specialized services exactly for that reason for eating disorders because it is so complex so definitely reaching out for help if you don't already being really self-compassionate and um, just watching that self-talk and normalizing the relapses.
0: Yeah, definitely. Great tips. And I think some other practical tips um, alongside professional psychological intervention would be give yourself unconditional permission to enjoy all foods. There is no such thing as good foods or bad foods or forbidden foods. Um, Many, Clients that uh, struggle with eating disorders often have um, food groups that they have banned and that can be a really difficult hurdle to overcome. So, yeah, try and give yourself unconditional permission to enjoy all food. I would say recognise and honour your hunger. Um, Hunger is a normal (laughs) message that our brain gives our body when it needs nutrition to fuel energy. So, honour your hunger and give yourself adequate nutrition regularly so that your body can function. Um, We would encourage satisfaction. So honor taste as well, um, eat foods for enjoyment and um, foods that allow you to feel satiated. Feeling full is something that a lot of people with eating disorders struggle with as well. So learning that feeling full isn't a bad thing, feeling satisfied isn't a bad thing. Something that can be really helpful is to practice mindfulness in particular, how your body is feeling. So body awareness, mindful practices. So taking a few moments, um, the more you practice it, the more benefits you will get from mindfulness meditation. So if you want to make it part of a daily routine and recognizing You know, when unwanted thoughts and feelings arise and being able to kind of, um, I guess, pay attention to where that shows up in your body so that you are better able to let those intrusive thoughts go and pass Mm. by. I think another big thing that Kat and I also say when it comes to eating disorders and body image in general is to focus on your body's function over appearance. So maybe something like a gratitude diary or journal where you write down all the ways your body shows up for you every day, um, all the things that allows you to do all the amazing functions of your body can be really helpful. And yeah, I just think uh, another really basic it's not even a tip, it's just fat to have a, a healthy body and something that I think is so underrated is staying hydrated. When we want to feel well and look after ourselves, drinking enough water, getting the appropriate hydra- hydration to allow us to be clear and give our bodies what they are asking for. Mm, absolutely. That was
1: another thing that popped up, Ames, when you were talking is generally people who do have an eating disorder tend to focus on food a lot. Mm. Um, I think in my experience of people with eating disorder, they, they get angry that they're thinking about food so much mm. because it's almost like they get angry at their environment, there's food around, they get angry that their brain is thinking about food. But I just want to say, if you're someone who does deprive yourself of food or has a low calorie intake, it's completely normal for your brain to be searching for food. Mm. Your brain is trying to help you survive so if you're getting angry at yourself for thinking about food all the time or wanting to eat all the time, please know when you're hungry, your brain is doing anything in its power to make you eat. And sometimes that's why people binge when they have not eaten for a while. Mm-hmm. So just want to normalize that feeling that that happens with anyone, even people who don't have an eating disorder, if they haven't eaten or you can think about is finding food um, mm-hmm. as quickly as
0: possible. Definitely. Definitely. And I think it, with it, with the first question too, keep in mind that recovery is a long road. Um, mm. A lot of people with eating disorders can get super frustrated and impatient with um, sometimes the lack of their progress that they're seeing. So please try not to lose hope. So many people struggle with slips and relapses, and you know it is a process. So trust the process um, of your treatment plan, and if you're not making the progress that you had hoped for, um, you know reach out, reach out for extra support and information um, because, yeah, there, there are services and um, practitioners out there mm-hmm. that specialise in this area, like Kat said, that can um, help you with a, with a treatment plan. Absolutely. So definitely Butterfly Foundation. They are such a wonderful place to start
1: and I think they have online counselling um, or online support, so a really great place to start. Dokily, dokily. Next question. Ames, I want to throw this one on you because oh, you can probably God. answer this a lot better. As oh. a dump E, if you think there is a chance for the relationship to work, do you pursue
0: it? I feel like this is a, a really common and a really complex question. And uh, there is no answer for this <laughs> as much as the listener um, is probably going to be really frustrated at that. Getting dumped sucks. And we begin to ask ourselves questions like, you know, um, could I have done this better? Should I have done this? Uh, Well, if only he didn't do or she didn't do that. And, you know, is it really over? Um, Because, you know, they're still messaging me or um, I still get calls from them. This is such a personal question. And I think it depends on, so many different factors uh sometimes we really don't know if a relationship has completely ended because we might still be sleeping together for example and that can give us um really muddy waters on exactly what is happening and i think ultimately kat and i always have this saying to each other when we were going through our dating years um that you keep going until you can't go anymore. I think if you still want to pursue a relationship with someone, even after they have broken up with you, you most likely will. I guess there are a couple of insights that might be helpful if you're feeling super confused and heartbroken, which Kat and I have done an episode on the science of heartbreak. It is the most excruciating pain and I I definitely feel for, for you, breakups are really terrible. But I think it's important to understand that For the dumper, it can be super draining because you have to make the decision to cut off ties and you can be really torn between, well, am I going to miss this person? You know, I'm scared I won't meet anyone better. And it's this really ambivalent, draining, annoying state um, that can drag on for months and years if you let it or if, you know, both people let it. And I think for the dumpee, you don't really get a choice. And then it becomes this really unclear, porturous uh, state where you are in limbo and it can lead to confusion and jealousy and distress. And you can feel neurotic when you're constantly checking their social medias and, you know, just waiting for them to give you an answer. And this can feed into anxiety, self-esteem and you know, you might be asking yourself, do I wait for them to come to their senses and give me an answer? Or should I just uh, cut ties and move on and take care of myself? And I think what's important for this one is the only person that you should be considering in this scenario is yourself. Do what is the best choice for you. Find your support systems because this can be a really, really difficult situation to navigate and, yeah, it is really horrible but I think try not to be caught up in what the other person is thinking, doing or feeling. Um, this decision has to come from you and ultimately, um, yeah, this is, this is about you and your happiness and your well being. And, and only you can kind of judge whether to, to pursue going back to an ex or not. as frustrating as that sounds
1: great advice Ames absolutely and I think neurologically when we get dumped we generally tend to want that person more it's Mm. classic we want what we can't have our brain is a little trickster sometimes and when things are out of reach we tend to want it more I always say our brain's like a toddler (laughs) um so when things are out of reach we want it more so And I think also when we get dumped um, by chasing that person, firstly, it's competition. It's like, I want that rush of excitement I want that pleasure center I want the reward center back so there's also neurologically your brain is probably working against you here it's seeking that rush again it's seeking the the reward center is like ding 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 let's get them back because you know I know when I get my prize, which is how our, our brain views things um, you know it will feel good I'll have the oxytocin uh, the serotonin will be pumping through my body so it just remember that. <laughs> have so much working against us in heartbreak and we do go into that in our heartbreak app so you're saying that you want to pursue it but taking a step back and thinking is it that you want to pursue it or is it that you're just seeking some reward from that relationship what is it that you really want from that relationship and do you think you could potentially find that elsewhere um so yeah that would be my
0: (laughs) nerdy Mm.
1: scientific input
0: yeah and i think it says um if you think there's a chance that the relationship will work so there's obviously something there that feels it feels safer to maybe pursue a past relationship than what it does to break away and go towards something Mm, unfamiliar true Mm. yeah
1: absolutely true and perhaps there's a lack of closure Mm. if there is still a chance perhaps there has been no closure or maybe it was an abrupt breakup um so good luck with that one yeah good luck okay next question how to help your partner understand depression anxiety great question Ames and I actually answered this on our last I think it was our last Q&A so go back and have a and have a listen to that it won't sound like a broken record so
0: yeah yeah we definitely we definitely did answer something really really similar to that on our last Q&A well
1: I mean, also um there's heaps of podcasts on depression anxiety um Asking your partner to have a listen to, not saying that ours, but (laughs) (laughs) shameless plug. All right, next question. Aims, hit me. Oh no,
0: this is your question. All right. (laughs) It's not it's not my personal question, just for the record. Um okay, so the question is, um, is wanting to delve into past relationships and childhood trauma a reason for therapy?
1: Okay, I'm gonna pretend to be the psychotherapist expert. Um, Yes, I would say absolutely. I think this is a wonderful, wonderful chance to dive into therapy and discuss your relationships and trauma, often because unresolved trauma does manifest in everyday behaviors and or relationships. So short answer from the psychologist, yes. <laughs> what about you, James?
0: No, perfectly answered. I would 100% agree. I think um, it is a great great reason to go and seek support Um, if nothing else it will just allow you to become really aware of how trauma generates emotions um, and processes that can become stuck in our mind and body so yes of course it is um, if you are someone that struggles with childhood trauma it is a wonderful reason to seek uh, some therapeutic healing all righty so next question, how do you stop getting so anxious when it comes to big changes or things that are outside of our comfort zone?
1: I think when, th- when there are big changes in our life, it's completely normal to feel anxious. Just off the bat, completely normal reaction a lot of people feel that reaction um our brain likes to be safe our brain likes to keep us safe as possible so if it chooses between staying home and being safe and going outside in the scary world it will always try and make you stay home and be safe um so just remember our brain is when big changes are happening when things are out of our comfort zone it's probably being like ding 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 no this is not safe it will probably um evoke some of those somatic responses of anxiety such as increased heart rate it's it senses threat that's our brain's prime function it's still caught in that really um preliminary Stage of evolution, and it does sense threat. That's its biggest priority. So your brain perceives a threat as changes and things that are outside your comfort zone because it wants to keep you safe. So I think just knowing that from an anxiety point of view, it's if you get anxious, knowing that that's a normal response, and using your relaxation strategies to help you to calm down. I think that would be my number one tip. Secondly, the pros and cons of going outside your comfort zone. What's the worst thing that could happen? You know. And could you live with that worst case scenario? So that would be tip number two. Ames, what are your thoughts? What are your feels?
0: Definitely a little anxiety queen. I think that our brains love predictability. They love to know what is happening. We thrive when we are in our routine and when we know that we are safe and what is to be expected. So ways that we can manage anxiety when it comes to uh, feeling like we are out of our comfort zone or there's a big change is exactly like Kat said. Challenging some of those irrational fears that we might have from our anxiety with evidence. Um, So what is the evidence to support that what we're worried about, about this change or being outside our, our comfort zone? Is anything more than just a thought, than just a worry? And I guess perhaps if it is a really big change, something that we can do is adjust to that in um, smaller steps. So if you're finding that you are completely overwhelmed by something new, doing something gradually might help manage that anxiety.
1: Yeah. I saw this meme the other day, Ains. Did you see it? And it's like, anxiety is just having conspiracy theories about yourself. Did you see <laughs> what is that i love that it's so true so true so just remember all your thoughts do not equal
0: facts <laughs> very true very
1: true okay i'm gonna ask you the next one because i do not know okay <laughs> next question i just looked ahead and i'll i i have not prepared for these questions so i'm just like this is an amy question amy how to manage attachment
0: anxiety Oh, my goodness. This is a very, very hard question to answer in a short amount of time. Um, attachment, attachment anxiety is real. Um, it is this nervous, uh, worry, apprehension um, kind of, yeah, and it's really common as well. And it's when we are kind of lacking that secure attachment resulting from developing an anxious attachment pattern early in childhood. That's basically what it is. Um, And it becomes kind of like a, a coping mechanism or a, mapped a map of how we relate and connect with the world so basically what happens is instead of thinking about positive things in our relationships and um, that can be with friends intimate relationships or family members um, the person with attachment anxiety will often focus on negative um, aspects of the relationship so it can make things uh, really difficult you might experience experience constantly seeking reassurance. Um, You might also have a tendency to be quite controlling. Um, You might sabotage relationships out of uh, fear that you'll be abandoned or rejected. So you'll do the um, abandoning first. You can be overly sensitive and you might personalize situations. Um, You might use sex to meet your needs and approval of security. I think some things that can help with managing attachment anxiety, there is no, there's no really short term fix for attachment anxiety or any anxiety. Really, it is just about management. So understanding that relationships are really difficult for people with anxious adult attachment patterns, adults who continually have trouble maintaining intimate relationships often seek therapy, which is a really, really great way to manage your attachment anxiety and I think when you're dealing with a negative attachment style it's extremely important that you learn about it so know what your patterns of attachment are learn to set boundaries and respect the boundaries of others in your relationships is always is always super super important I think also again not to sound like a broken record mindfulness is a really practical tangible tangible strategy that you can use to manage uh, feelings of anxiety around your attachment style. So in simple simple terms, mindfulness is about being in the present state and when we are experiencing negative situations we tend to avoid them by either going back to the past or looking towards the future whereas practicing mindfulness really grounds us into the present the here and now and allows us to accept and be aware of things that are happening happening so we're not ruminating in our thoughts or worries and we're not being um you know we're not overthinking or catastrophizing about our future and I think yeah, like I was saying before, sorry, I'm kind of rambling and jumping. <laughs> it's not very easy to explain, um, and I struggle at the best of times. So apologies, but I think it's important to understand the underlying function of your anxious attachment, and that is that you feel like you're not you're not being given enough, and. When you have this type of pattern, you probably have had a mother or a father who was really inconsistent in how they responded to you when you were upset and needed assurance and they might have been really loving and caring one minute and then completely cold and gone the next. So understanding where this came from and how this anxious attachment formed um, and that, you know, in adulthood, your brain might be wired to enter the fight or flight mode when even the smallest hint of rejection is perceived. So I think understanding um, how this all functions and what to do when you are anxious, when you are in that fight or flight mode, so things like mindfulness will better able you to manage when that pops up.
1: Yep, what she said. (laughs) The last question is how do I firmly state my boundaries I'm finding it tricky to navigate great question particularly in COVID Ames and I have done two episodes that kind of relate to boundary setting one is should I stay or should I go I believe it's from season one and the second one is is saying yes ruining your life which I believe is also from season one so go and have a little little listener route
0: I think that is all we have time for
1: awesome guys well thank you so much for tuning in we hope that has answered your questions and we will catch you next week see you then bye bye
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you're not already, please follow us on Instagram at The Psychology Sisters. We are also now providing online psychological sessions. For more information, please follow us at The Psych Collaborative. See you next time.